Thank you to the Naomi House team for, uh, for sharing your experience and, and what God taught you. Um, I love hearing about what happened on the trip, right, except for the, the travel problems. And um, I was also disappointed to hear, though, that uh, you guys had a volleyball game against the Naomi House team, and you guys got destroyed. <laughs> so that was very, very disappointing. But uh, maybe next time, right? <laughs> Good morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to wrap up our sermon series on the parable of the soils. And I hope this series has been helpful to you. We've been in this series for the last, this is the seventh week. And I hope if you've been here this series or been watching, this series has been helpful to you in understanding two important things. The first is about the kingdom of heaven. And the second is about discipleship and how we follow after the Lord in our daily lives. Because I think that's what the series has really been all about. And I think today's passage will bring these two things together with an emphasis on the value of the kingdom of God. So our passage this morning, it talks about being sold out, sold out for God, being fully devoted to him. And while, okay, this is not a perfect example, this is, may not even be a good example, um, it made me think about some of the outrageous things uh, that people will do when they're completely fixated or dedicated on something. For example, here's what some football fans said they would do last year for a ticket to the Super Bowl. So the first thing is that they said they would pay up to $36,000 for a ticket. Right? The second, 35% said they would give up drinking. Right? right? You know, football fans, right? They probably give up drinking until the next game. 7% said they would donate a kidney. <laughs> right? Major organ, right? Who needs that? 7% said they would leave their partner. <laughs> That's probably a good thing for the partner. 28% said they would name their child after a player. <laughs> um, and 25%, this is the last one, 25% said they would get buried in NFL gear. Right? Now there's some good long-term planning there. Right? You can just you can, right, get your clothes now. So it's crazy, right? Isn't it crazy to see how obsessed some people are for a football game? Now, full disclosure, okay, full disclosure, in 2003, when Renee was eight months pregnant with Colson, right, my friend Jason and I, we flew to Miami on New Year's Day for just a day or two just to see USC play in the Orange Bowl. <laughs> you can't really... See the background there? We're, we're there at the game. Okay, right? Terrible of me, right? But it was important. <laughs> On a way more serious note, when it comes to being fully committed, right? Fully given, given into something. I also thought of, about the people who do whatever it takes for a chance at a better life. And I'm talking about refugees, I'm talking about immigrants who will flee their country 
who will cross the border, who will risk their lives. Right? And I was struck this week by the images on the news. I don't know if, if you saw this on the news, um, of, of some of the Afghan people holding on to the outside right, of these American airplanes as the planes took off from the airport in Kabul. And these people, they would give anything, right, everything they have for something better. And in today's passage, I think Jesus makes, he makes clear that there is something better. There's something infinitely better. And that God's kingdom and God's salvation, it's worth giving up everything for. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, this morning that you would open your word up to us. We thank you for uh, the worship time, the sharing, Lord, the things that you're moving and doing in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, you would continue that, that your Holy Spirit would open your word up to us and you would make us soft and receptive and you would help to give us perspective on life and perspective on your kingdom this morning, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would use all of these things to get us, Lord, to, to go for it with all we have and to love you and follow you and obey you with the passion, Lord. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. This is a key portion of Scripture because in it, Jesus gives eight parables. There's actually eight parables in this. We didn't go through all of them in our study. Okay, but eight parables all about the kingdom of heaven. Now, just to clarify, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, okay, they're virtually the same thing. They're used interchangeably in Scripture and, and, and primarily here in the Gospels. It's just that as we read Matthew, as we have studied Matthew, Matthew was written for primarily a Jewish audience. And in Jewish culture, God's name was sacred. God's name was not to be used so repetitively or lightly. So God's name was sacred and to be used sparingly. And so Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God. Okay, you'll see the term kingdom of God in like the book of Mark or the book of Luke. Okay, this is why Matthew, he uses the term kingdom of heaven. Now the kingdom is God's dynamic rule and reign. Right, we've heard that before. I think Pastor Corey said that last week. We've, we've mentioned that before. It is where God rules and he reigns. One of Matthew's great promises in writing this book is to show that God has kept his promises to the Israelites through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as Pastor Corey described last week, right, Jesus opened up God's glorious kingdom. Right? There were different levels, he talked about, of heaven or the heavens. And God opened up the heavens to us here on earth. God's kingdom is here now, but it will not be fully consummated 
until Christ returns in the future. And I'm going to talk more about this towards the end of the message um, because I think it's, it's really important for us to, to understand how the kingdom manifests itself. But right now, let's, let's read our, um, our text for today. God's word says in Matthew 13, 44 through 46, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Two stories about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus compares them to a man and a merchant who both find valuable treasure. The first treasure is found hidden in a field. And though uncommon to find a, a treasure so worthy hidden in a field, okay, this was not unrelatable. This was relatable to the people listening to Jesus. Back in those days, people used to bury some of their valuables. Okay, they'd bury it in the ground for safekeeping. They didn't have banks. Right? They didn't have safe deposit boxes. They didn't have you know, locks and vaults like, like we know of today. They didn't even have like mattresses like we have today to stuff your valuables in. Then over time, if you think about it, right, maybe the owners got sick, they died, right? They couldn't remember where they had buried things. The land changed hands, right? And the, the treasure was forgotten about, right, until somebody else dug it up. In the second story, the treasure was a pearl of great value. In those days, and I didn't know this until really researching it, but pearl diving, pearl trading, it was a common business in the area. It's still somewhat common within the Middle East, in the Mediterranean, in the Persian Gulf. Right? And that's why there's a merchant involved. There's a business for this. Right? But finding a pearl of great value was like hitting the lottery. Right? It didn't happen every day. And so when these two people found these treasures, it says they went and they sold everything they had to buy it. Now when we hear this story, I think we usually place ourselves as one who finds the kingdom. Right? We see ourselves in the story and we say we find the kingdom and we say, yes, that's us. And we get the kingdom. Right? End of story. What's the next parable? This morning, I want us to look a little deeper right, and see how this story could have played out differently. That obtaining the treasure of the kingdom of heaven isn't exactly a slam dunk. See, Jesus' teaching here is not meant to just confirm truths that we already know. I think it's much more challenging than that. In his teaching here, he is making hard distinctions, hard differences between those that hang around, those that look like they're committed, as opposed to those that truly are. In this chapter alone, if you think about chapter 13 or if you've studied it, right, he talks about bad soil and good soil. 
And we learn that the seed in the rocky soil and the thorny soil both grow for a little while. So they may appear like good soil until they dry up and wither away. He talks about those that see and hear as opposed to those that actually understand. Last week we learned that there are people who hear God's word but never perceive, never understand. And to them, everything, everything is in parables. It's unclear to them. In the verses right before this passage, he talks about the weeds and the wheat. The weeds and the wheat. Unbelievers and believers, both living side by side, And sometimes they're hard to distinguish. It's hard to to tell the difference between the two. But one grows more worldly while the other grows in the Lord. See, what happens is that in all of these metaphors, in all of these parables that Jesus is talking about, he's talking about people. People whose hearts are either hardened or ambivalent or those whose hearts are soft whose hearts are devoted to God, they all coexist together in the same town, in the same village, maybe even in the same church. And Jesus wants to make sure that we've checked our hearts, that we know where our trust lies, that we know in whom we have believed. In the parable right before this one, in verses 37 through 43, Jesus talks about the judgment that comes at the end of the age. And we don't like to think about these things, but it says those that are evil will be weeded out of his kingdom and thrown into the blazing furnace. But the righteous, the children of God, will shine like sun in his kingdom, in his father's kingdom. That's what scripture says. So I think these two short stories here in Matthew 13, this parable, which are obviously about the worth of God's kingdom in our lives, is something we need to approach with honesty and with humility. So how could this story have played out differently? Right? What could have been different that would have changed how this parable goes? The first is if the treasure was missed, not found. This is not a foregone conclusion. See, I think the way Jesus tells the story, he says that the treasure was hidden in a field or that it was like a pearl, right, hidden in some giant oyster out there. It gives us some insight into the fact that the kingdom of heaven is not obvious to everyone. Missing it can be quite common. How many people do you know miss or ignore the kingdom of God and the offer of salvation or the love of Christ because they're only seeing things with earthly eyes? 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, the God of this age, that's Satan, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're blinded. 
Satan is actively trying to blind the minds of those who don't believe in Jesus. And his purpose is to keep them from seeing the light of Christ and the treasure that's offered. We must not miss God's work around us. Second, it could have played out differently if the man or the merchant didn't recognize its value. Now, once the treasure was discovered, you would think its value was obvious, right? Last year, there were a couple of teenagers in Israel who found like 400 ancient coins from like 1,100 years, 1100 years old, these coins. So worth millions. And they found these coins buried in an ancient clay pot, sort of buried partially under the ground. And they said when they first saw it from a distance, they thought it was just some old leaves. Right? They almost missed it. They didn't recognize it. Little did they know right, that this is worth millions. The treasure's value has to be appreciated. You say, if God's kingdom and his glory were right in front of me, sure, I'd recognize it. Sure, and I would sell everything I have for it. Right? This is how we place ourselves into, this, into the parable. But as we know, Jesus, the Son of God, he lived with these people he's talking with. Right? He taught them. He healed them. He sacrificed his life for them. And yet many of them could not see its worth. In Matthew 19, an upstanding young man, he approaches Jesus and he asks Jesus how he could receive eternal life, how he could find entry into God's kingdom. Right? He saw Jesus as good and he knew the commandments up and down and he said that he had followed them. He had obeyed the commandments since he was, since he was a child. Right? But when Jesus asked him to sell everything he had in order to follow him, and Jesus said, and I quote, Jesus said, you will have treasure in heaven. The young man walked away. Right? We know him as the rich young ruler. He couldn't grasp the value of the kingdom when compared to earthly wealth and stuff and treasures and temptations. Third, and most obviously, it would have played out differently if they didn't sell everything they had to get it. They say value is determined by what people are willing to pay. Right? So the guys who want a Super Bowl ticket they show their value or they show how much it means to them by saying, I will pay up to $36,000 for a ticket. It's what people are willing to pay, what they're willing to sacrifice for it. Well, the treasure was so clearly valuable, right? These men joyfully and without hesitation went and sold all that they had. And we don't know exactly how much that was. We don't know what the price was that they paid. Jesus doesn't tell us because it doesn't really matter. 
What mattered is whether they were all in or not. See, this is the challenging part of Jesus' parable. Securing the reward and the blessing of God's kingdom requires that we be all in. I know too many people, too many people who want what God has to offer but don't want to give up earthly treasures or earthly pleasures. Are you sold out for Jesus? Have you given yourself fully to him? Or do you have commitment issues? The disciples who left everything, right? they left everything to follow Jesus. They were all in. The poor widow in Mark 12, who though she was poor, when offering was taken, she was poor and she gave everything she had was just two small, two small copper coins. And she was all in. The Apostle Paul, who used to despise Christianity and persecute Christians, then he became a missionary for Christ. Right? Christ spoke to him. And he became a missionary for him. He was all in. In Philippians 3, 7 and 8, he says, But but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. We're not talking about living like a monk or living in abject poverty here. We're talking about surrendering our lives to a good and gracious Lord and Savior and being fully committed to him. Sometimes I think we, we take a step back and we recoil right, from going all in because it's not, not something we're used to. Right? Current secular wisdom or worldly wisdom tells us we need to justify. Spread your risk. Don't overcommit. Protect yourself. Well, the kingdom of God, beloved, is something worth losing everything for. In 1519, the Spanish explorer Fernando Cortez was facing insurmountable odds as he and his men landed on the shores of the Yucatan Peninsula, and he prepared to fight the great Aztec army. Right? I think they were outnumbered like six to one or something. To ensure he and his men were fully committed to the task before them, he did the unthinkable. He ordered his ships to be burned. Talk about being all in. Cortez supposedly told his troops, if we're going to sail home, it's because we won. And we're going to sail home in their ships. And they won. Jesus is saying, once you find Christ's kingdom, once you understand the good news, once you recognize its worth, then selling out, going all in, is the only thing that makes sense. 
So I mentioned that I wanted to talk a little bit more about the kingdom of God. Okay. I want to wrap up by just um, talking more specifically about what the kingdom of God looks like. And maybe it will give you a little clarity on what it looks like, because honestly, I think it can be confusing to us. And I think it's super important for us to understand what does Scripture say? What does God want us to know? So I'm hoping that you might hear and understand. We've already established that the kingdom, God's dynamic rule and reign, is here now. It exists now. And it was introduced in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That's why John the Baptist, when he paves the way for Jesus, before Jesus starts his ministry, he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Because Jesus came to open up that way to the kingdom and show us the glory of God. But the kingdom is also coming. See, God's kingdom is at work in two different stages. The present age and the age to come when Christ returns. The Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's kingdom is not fully manifest yet here on earth. So when you think about the world today, we think about our society. Right? What do we see? It's filled, right? It's filled with sin, with evil, with hatred, corruption, with struggle, with division. And you go ask, why is that? Why is that if God's kingdom is here? Why is that if Jesus reigns victorious? And it causes doubt among people about God's power. It causes doubt about the trustworthiness of his word. Maybe you wonder that. But see, the people in Jesus' time, they had the same questions. They said, Jesus, you're talking about this amazing gospel and this glorious God. Why is there such idolatry and corruption still among us? Why are we still under Roman oppression? Why are evil people still allowed to prosper? Jesus tries to explain some of this, I think, when he talks about the weeds and the wheat and the unbelieving and the believers coexisting together. Yet in the midst of all these troubled times, right, lives are being changed. Hearts are being turned. In the midst of all that we see, God is shining forth in people's lives. I see it in people I meet. I see it in people I know. I see it in some of you. Right? God's word is going out. Revival is taking place in other parts of the world. People are experiencing his mercy and grace, his healing and transformation, in spite of all of these difficult things that we see. Right? And God's love is here. Is available. His mercy and grace is available to us now. 
right? But the kingdom, so the kingdom is here and now, brought by Christ when he first came. But instead of making changes social to the political order of things, writing everything in one fell swoop like sometimes I think we want, God is making changes in the spiritual order, in people's individual lives. Through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, he's breaking the power of sin and bondage. Does this make sense? He's like working from the bottom up, so to speak. This is part of the secret of the kingdom. This is part of its mystery. It is partly why people there in Jesus' time could not see and did not understand. God's kingdom comes in two steps. George Eldon Ladd says, the kingdom of God can work among men and women in their individual lives and yet never be recognized by the crowds, the masses. Right? And I think that's why Jesus teaches that the kingdom starts small, like a mustard seed. It starts in our lives. It starts in our hearts. But make no mistake, and make no mistake, the world will yet behold the coming of God's kingdom. This is the second stage. When Christ returns, he will not come quietly. He will return in power and in glory. He will bring his kingdom in full. His righteousness and his justice will be clearly evident. And his rule and reign will displace all other rule and reign and authorities and will break the sin and pride that we see in the world around us. This will be a time of judgment for those who reject him but a time of rejoicing for those who have been faithful. And this is, what, this is what God's word says. This is what Matthew 13 says. So as we, as we wrap up the parable of the soils, right, remember that the kingdom of God is here now. It's here now, but it's also coming Do not be like the masses. Do not doubt it. Do not miss it. Be good soil. Open your heart to it. And then like the man and the merchant, do everything you can to get it. Let nothing stop you from receiving Jesus and his kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is sometimes hard for us to hear and to digest, Lord, but I pray that you would help us to walk away with what you want us to know and to understand and to believe and to act on. Lord, I pray for open hearts and open minds. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us, Lord, because we are feeble people, but we want you, Lord. We want you so much. We pray that you would work in us, help us, Give us grace, your grace and your mercy. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.